Welcome to the Leafs in Our Opinion podcast, the show with two guys with a lot to say about the Toronto Maple Leafs and the NHL. Here are your hosts, Ben Shelley and Michael Maze. Hello, everybody, and welcome to, I believe it's the eighth episode of the Leafs in Our Opinion podcast. I'm, I'm your host, Michael, and joining me as always is Ben. Hey, everybody. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. The season's uh, coming to an end, uh, so we're going to try and keep this one short today. So what do we got to start off? First, we've got uh, early impressions on Callie Rosen. Um, scored a goal already. Um, it was highly anticipated because I, I at least didn't expect to see him until next season, but uh, I thought he looked good. Yeah, I thought debut. so. I thought so too. Yeah, he was a, a breath of fresh air for the, the Leafs defense because we've been seeing uh, Martin Marincin and Igor Zhiganov for the last of the while. And uh, in that first game against the Islanders, uh, he was really good with moving the puck. Uh, him and Dermott were really good in the defensive zone and transition and in the offensive zone too and uh, that goal was definitely the icing on the cake even though it was kind of a floater one that uh, that's Robin... a really bad goal yeah watching it back I was yeah it's one that Robin Leonard would probably want to have back yeah um with Rosen though obviously it was a small sample size but how did you yeah if, if he is a third pair defenseman coming into next season how how do you feel about that um, well, I, I definitely feel confident, uh, starting to feel much more confident. Uh, we definitely need to see much more from him because if we saw on Tuesday against the Hurricanes, he, his game was not as good, I would say, because uh, like they were under pressure from the Hurricanes, and the Leafs were definitely tired, and I think that definitely played a factor into the score as well. But uh, for the most part, I was very impressed with what he's got, what he's done with the Leafs so far. He's had a really successful season with the Marlies, uh, and he's definitely going to be a big part of their playoff run uh, when that time comes for him and I really do think that he's going to really improve the Leafs defense uh, for next year yeah I see I see some similarities with him and the way that Travis Dermott was brought in actually in terms of um, Travis Dermott should not be you know necessarily a bottom pair defenseman long term um, and I don't I don't know necessarily Callie Rosen fits the bill as uh, a third pair defenseman um, you know, do you see him like as a shutdown defenseman? I'm not really sure, but no. I think in order to integrate him, I think, you know, I think it'd be I, I draw some similarities there between between him and Dermot, the way that Dermot was brought in. Yeah, but uh, Dermot also uh, had a much larger sample size, and uh, Rosen has only played what six games now in his yeah. NHL career, so that's not really much of a bringing up into the team. Like he like barely got a chance. Uh, during the the end of the beginning of last season, and then now he's only getting a chance so late in the season, only because he got an injury. Like what was it in February or something? Yeah, I think he would have gotten the German treatment if he if he didn't get hurt. I, that's my that's my uh, gut feeling. Yeah, yeah. So now we heard that I'm I heard this before, and then you talked about. It, but uh, if they play with seven defense, uh, to, how do you see that shaking up? Well, I know that Jake Gardner is very likely to be coming back, which is very relieving. We're going to talk, discuss it more briefly uh, a little bit later on, but uh, I think that's definitely a good thing. And uh, for one, for me, I feel like that's Mike Babcock uh, signaling that he trusts Rosen enough to play him, even when uh, all of his uh, playing cards are at the table, at least most of them, at, at least. And uh, I, I think that was a very encouraging uh, sight to see. And uh, hopefully next year uh, we see more of Rosen. Um, in terms of Gardner coming back then, so how big of an impact do you see that making, especially with two games out with the playoffs coming soon? I think it's definitely a huge boost to the Leafs' uh, defense. Uh, the last few mo- last month and a bit has been a very rough stretch. Uh, I think a lot of Leaf fans finally realized just how important Jake Gardner was 
to the Leafs defense. And uh, last year, he was definitely played a vital role, and people always got upset with his uh, defensive mishaps, and especially during Game 7 last year against the Bruins. Uh, so his extended absence really put into perspective just how important Jake Garner is to the Leafs' uh, back end. Uh, it's not just simply on, but based on points. It's just his play both in the neutral zone and the defensive zone is just really critical. Yeah, and just an interesting stat on Gardner, when you look at the last five seasons before this one, he had played at least 79 games in every single season. So I don't think we ever saw a Leafs team without Gardner for an extended period of time. Um, and I think this is the first time that we got to say, like, wow, Jake Gardner, this is how much of an impact that Jake Gardner makes on the Leafs defense court. And people can talk about how he's not defensively reliable, but regardless, I think, you know, that was a huge, huge hole to be filled. And it also, I don't, it does leave the question for next season where before I was thinking there's no way that Jake Gardner gets re-signed. And I still don't think there is. I, I don't think it's likely at all still. But before I was pretty confident that Callie Rosen could come up and just fill the hole. I still think Callie Rosen is going to be a good NHL defenseman. But it, it does leave some questions as to, you know, at the start of next season, is it, are there going to be some growing pains again on the Leafs' defense core? There very likely is, if that's the case with Jake Gardner. But my, my gut feeling tells me that uh, Cal Dubas probably realized that Jake Gardner is so important to the Leafs' defense, and they're going to try and uh, make maybe try and negotiate a hometown discount. Like I don't know how the chances of that are, especially because his market value has dropped down significantly with the injury. But I think if let's say for the scenario that uh, Jake Garner does not resign and the Leafs have to start a season without uh, Ron Hainsey as well, there definitely is going to be growing pains. It's going to be a very uh, challenging first few months of the season. And uh, if Frederick Anderson uh, is not up to the task early on, uh, I think you're going to be seeing a, a pretty slow start for the Leafs next year. With Gardner, you've brought it up. Do you think that makes an impact on on his market value? Um. I don't. I guess it will will depend on how he does when he comes back and in the playoffs. I think that's probably the big thing. Uh, yeah, the 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 extended absence really did hurt his value a little bit, and I know he was probably going to make a lot of buck in free agency if he did make it that far. But I think uh, now that he's back, uh, if he can make an immediate uh, impact on the Leafs lineup and uh, really help the Leafs out in the playoffs against the Bruins this year, I really do think that his market value increases as time goes on. What do you think his number is? Because if, if we're on like a six-year deal or a five-year deal, I'd say it, we're probably looking at like six, maybe even seven million. Yeah, that's probably what I was thinking around too. Like, isn't he making five? He's making 4.05, I believe. Yeah, it's got to probably be six at the minimum. Yeah I, yeah, I definitely have him making six. And that's why I just don't see it don't see him coming back because I feel like even a, a, a discount for Gardner would be to get him at six and the Leafs definitely can't afford him at six. Yeah, so that that, that means, uh, like as we discussed before, some contract has to move out of, out of the town like, like Connor Brown or Nikita Zaitsev or Patrick Marlowe if the Leafs are lucky. But uh, yeah, that's uh, def definitely a tough question for Kyle Davis to answer in the offseason. Um, now moving on from the defense, you want to talk a bit about PDO? Yes, because uh, that's one thing that I've really noticed uh, in trying to figure out why the Leafs have had a rough uh, second half of the season because the record in the first half was 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 pretty good was maybe pretty good as like underselling it but uh, in the second half of the season they've been at a five hundred pace or even below five hundred just below five hundred so I want to know what what was part of the reason why 
that was the case. And uh, doing some research on Natural Statric, uh, a great site, by the way, if you haven't checked it out, I found out something that pretty much tells the story. Um, from opening night until December 31st, uh, the Leafs PDO was 1.031, which is second best in the NHL behind the Tampa Bay Lightning. Maybe and, just explain what PDO is. Oh, okay. So to, for, for those who don't know what PDO means, it, it combines the shooting percentage of a team with their team save percentage. So in this case, Leafs save percentage was 11.66. That means they're, most of their shots were, were going in the net at a ridiculous pace. And I believe, yes, that was third in the NHL during that time, behind only the Washington Capitals and the Tampa Bay Lightning. And their save percentage, which was at 91.4, was fifth best in the NHL. So when they combine those two numbers, that pretty much tells what how your team is doing. If your number is above one, that means you're a really good team. If you're well below one, that means you're unlucky. And if it's well above one, that means you're really lucky. So the least PDO, as I said earlier, was 1.031, which was second best behind only the Tampa Bay Lightning. So what are your th thoughts on uh, everything I've just said? Well, I'm just going to flip that around and say, do you think the Leafs are unlucky right now, then? Well, yeah, because let's look at the second half of the season. Um, from January 1st onward, the Leafs PDO drops down all the way to a .999. Their shooting percentage is now 9.56, and their save percentage is 90.39. Yeah. So, so what do you think about them? Yeah. So do you think that that's indicative of an, of an unlucky team, or was that just bound to happen given uh, how the season has played out? I don't. That's a good question. Well, just looking back at last at the the back half, uh, I should say the first half of this season. But um, I I often looked at the team and said, I don't think the Leafs are where they are without the way that Anderson has played, and that was a big thing for me. Um, so, in that, like, I think the Leafs were lucky, based on, I don't know, I didn't look look a ton into their shooting percentage, but. I think they were lucky based on how Freddie was playing. Um, and now, seeing one, Anderson struggle, and two, Sparks still not really fine form, I think that's where their luck kind of ran out. That's what I saw. Yeah, and I also think that part of it too was uh, in the early part of the season, the power play was, was going off at a ridiculous pace, uh, just scoring goals. It, it felt like every single night and every time they stepped on the ice. Like that first power play, ended, we, we, we tend to forget... Like, in the first, like, for you of the season, they were unstoppable. Like, I think a lot of teams were scared to take penalties, and I think that's part of the reason why the Leafs have so few power play opportunities this season. But I think that uh, after after a while, part of the reason why they got so unlucky is that they failed to really make big adjustments to the power play when uh, the opposition started to figure it out more often than not. Yeah. Now, with that power play, do you want to touch on that a little bit? Because we just saw... William Nylander put on the top power play unit in place of Nazem Kadri. Yes, that's actually a good point and a good transition. Um, I really do think that William Nylander is a huge addition to the Leafs power play, uh, the top power play unit especially. Uh, I know it's a it's because Nazem Kadri is likely not going to play tonight because is he is he suffering from injuries right now? Oh, I didn't even know that. I hadn't seen that. You should definitely check that out. Uh, anyway, regardless of why Nazem Kadri is out of the lineup. Um, I do think that having William Nylander on there is what a lot of people have been asking for, and I think that it makes sense because Nylander is a very skilled player, and he definitely needs to get going offensively. But at the same time, though, I don't think that Nylander's play style will mesh well with a power play unit that already has Mitch Marner on it. 
Mm. So what do you think about that? Yeah, we had talked about that before the show started, but no, I agree because we we we'd said before that Marner often had that puck for a lot of the power play, and putting Nylander on there where Marner's job is already to be making passes, um, I thought it was interesting. I think I think putting Nylander center, um, it's something cool because we haven't we haven't seen it off in a past across the past three years, um, but uh, like you said. I don't. I don't really know what Nealer's role is going to be there. Yeah, it's it's going to be very interesting, especially because you have Austin Matthews who commands the puck, Tavares who's the guy down low, and now you have Mitch Marner who's the one that will want to have the puck more than anybody else because he's going to set up plays. So what's Nealer's role going to be? The middle of the slot? I don't think he's got the best shot on the team, and he likes he likes to set up plays too because I think I can see Nealer more as a a dominant playmaker than he is a sniper. Yeah, I like I see if Nealander is going to be on the power play, he'd be in a role similar to Mitch Marner's. Yeah, so that's why I wonder what's 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 his placement going to be on the on the top power play unit. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be a question that will ha- they'll be answered during the game tonight if the Leafs get a power play, of course, and if they don't, then uh, this has all been for naught. <laughs> um, and yeah, just touching on Kadri, uh, an undisclosed injury. Um, so that's like the Leafs, just very not giving a whole lot of information on anything. Yeah, and especially because tonight's is basically a meaningless game. And actually, um, two hours ago, uh, Jake Gardner was a game-time decision as well. Really? Yeah. And so is he not even going to play tonight? Uh, just the, the tweet coming from uh, Kristen Shilton. Uh, Mike Babcock said Jake Gardner was a game-time decision based on how he feels when he comes back following the morning skate. Muzzin and Kadri are unavailable for the game. Said one is ill and one isn't. Interesting. Yeah, Mike Babcock is uh, notorious for not disclosing anything to the media about what's wrong with his players, and I think that's not a surprise. But at the same time, like I mentioned earlier, this tonight is a meaningless game, so why risk uh, further aggravating injuries to the likes of uh, Jake Muzzin and uh, Nazem Kadri if they are indeed uh, suffering from something? Like, this is a game that would have been ideal for Ron Hainsey to sit out. If Patrick Marlowe didn't really care about his Ironman streak, he probably would have sat out too. But instead, he's now going to play even more minutes than uh, yeah. than what than what I would, would be ideal. Um, I think this is like one of those games. Yeah, the Leafs don't really care about this how the standings play out because the standings have already been determined for the Atlantic Division. They're not going to move any higher or lower than they currently are. Tampa Bay doesn't really care either. They've already lost out on a chance to tie like to beat the record for most wins in the season. I think they might rest guys too. Well, wasn't Hedman being? Did I? Am I dreaming this, or did was Hedman also missing part? I think he's out for the rest of the regular season, and he may or may not be back. So I wonder, with injuries or illnesses like this, how many are actually preventative, preventing a player from playing in the game, versus how many are let's sit you out for the rest of the. Yeah, the rest of the regular season. Like this is part of the reason why I wonder why Garrett Sparks isn't getting the start tonight instead of uh, Frederick Anderson. I know Frederick Anderson needs to have his confidence uh, back up, and he had a really convincing win on Monday, and that was a, that was a, indicative of the kind of performances we've come to expect from him. But this game is is pretty much pointless. Uh, Tampa Bay has nothing to gain from it. Toronto has nothing to gain from it, and Frederick Anderson, if he gets hurt tonight, to uh, like why then there would be questions like why did you play him in a meaningless game? So 
I think for one, I think this would have been an ideal situation for Gary Sparks to be in, only because what's the point in the? There's no point in getting points tonight. The one thing I was gonna say though is that, uh, like you said, like Anderson, Anderson has not been his best recently, and I think uh, maybe maybe Sparks should have been played one of the last two games, but I think Anderson needs to be in one of the two and have a good game going to the playoffs because there was a stretch of four or five games there. And we're not even necessarily sure the stretch is over because he had he had one good game against the Islanders there. But yeah, he, I think he needs he need we need to make sure that Anderson is at his best going into the playoffs, and that's going to be absolutely key against the Bruins. Yes, and and there's a very big game coming up on Saturday night against the Montreal Canadiens, and I think that game definitely has playoff implications for Montreal, depending on how tonight's goes, and we're going to be discussing that much later on. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's another game that uh, I think for sure Anderson has to start on Saturday because that's a playoff-like atmosphere. That's a team that's fighting for their playoff lives. And uh, if he can play well in that game, that gives the Leafs some confidence going into the playoffs, especially because they're going to go into a hostile environment, one that uh, I'm sure a lot of players on there just do not find, like to be in, especially because TD Gardens is a house of horrors for some of the players, apparently. But, uh, yeah, if, if you get a good win and on a playoff-like atmosphere in the regular season before the playoffs start, that really does go a long way. I didn't realize that Montreal game is in Montreal. <laughs> I, I had thought for like, because I've been, I've had that game marked in my calendar, uh, seeing where Montreal is in the standings, knowing that they're like, more than likely, that last game is going to determine Montreal's playoff fate. And I always thought it was in Toronto, I just thought it was in Montreal now. That's going to be, <laughs> like, say, because right now, just... As an overview of the standings, uh, the three teams fighting for wildcard spots are at 95, 94, and 94 points. You can maybe include Pittsburgh in there, who's at 97, and could, in theory, still not make the playoffs, but I'd say that's unlikely at this point. Yeah. But Carolina's playing New Jersey, Columbus is playing New York, Montreal's in Washington tonight. But if Montreal wins and Columbus loses, or any combination of Carolina losing as well, that's going to... like. Like, that will be such a fun game to watch, don't you think? Like, that'll be one of the best games of the season, even if it's a meaningless game for the Leafs, and even if players are being rested. I think that's going to be such a fun game. I think for the Leafs, uh, they shouldn't view it as a meaningless game. They should view it as a, a test. Like, this is a playoff atmosphere. This is going to be a team that's desperate, That that's, like, trying, like, it's like a Game 7 situation. That's That's how they're going to view it. If they lose this game, their season is very likely finished. So for the Leafs, they should they should try and get some players playing in that game because like I said, this is going to be a playoff like an ex- experience for the for the players for the other team. Play the role that you have a 3 to 1 series lead against a team. Finish them off. Play like that. I I I don't know if they're going to actually be in a 3 games to 1 lead situation like in their favor in the playoffs. I, who knows, but view it like that. You like you're just trying to finish them off. I'm actually a little tempted to be cheering for Montreal when they play Washington tonight, just to have, just to make that last gaming Leafs have more meaning than yeah. it normally would. Yeah, it's it's going to have meaning regardless, because because for it could be possible that Columbus and Carolina lose their game, so they'd still be stuck in 95 and 94 points each. Uh, I just think that for ge- for in general, Leafs should definitely view it, like I said, as a test and, and not take it as like, oh, this is this is a pointless game for us. So let's not care too much about it. Let's give them the points. 
Yeah, I yeah, I'm just really excited for that game. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited too. Um, do you have any other leaf stuff that you wanted to go over? Um, don't we have uh, some topics in in mind? Uh, we have touched on everything. Oh, Brazo was a big one. Yes. Yeah, so Justin Brazo just signed a two year deal with the Marlies. Um, as an overview with Brazo, he had uh, in 68 games in the OHL this year. He had uh, 61 goals, and that's the he's the first player to. Um, hit the 60 goal mark since um, Alex DeBrinket did that two years ago, which isn't a big gap, but you, obviously he's in great company with DeBrinket. Um, 113 points in 60 games. He's six foot six, 226 pounds. Um, yeah, I think it's a really interesting signing because uh, reports were that a lot of teams were interested, and I was a little surprised too because he was uh, he was eligible for the draft, and a lot of scouts had him going in the first round as well. So I think it's a pretty, a really nice pickup by the Marlies. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think uh, if he was going to be going in the first round, it would probably be a late, a mid to late round pick because he's an overager. Like you would be getting this guy, and he'd be going to your team, like like going to professional hockey right away. So for the Leafs and uh, in this case the Marlies, uh, getting him early and signing him for two years, that's a huge get. And this could be a guy that could potentially be an impactful third line place the winger like that that's a checking forward that's with with a bit of offensive punch uh, obviously his numbers this year are absolutely ludicrous 61 goals in his overage year i think a more reasonable expectation for him would be getting around 20 goals like in in the nhl if he's ever to make it there especially for somebody his size i think that's something that's uh, could be a huge threat uh and uh, who knows where he goes? I think it'll be really exciting to see what he can bring to the Marlies uh, for this for, down the stretch and into the playoffs. Yeah, I just think it's cool because the Leafs are lacking a first-round pick, and now we can kind of just treat that as if he was the first-round pick. Yeah, there you go. Um, just one interesting thing, though. In five playoff games this year, he only had one point. Interesting. Mm-hmm. This year, right? Yeah. Who were the uh, battalions uh, playing in the first round? I actually have no idea. We should we should check that out. Um, but. Yeah, even looking back to last year, though, like he, I don't want to say he came out of nowhere. His stats blew up, but looking back to last season as well, he did have 39 goals and 75 points in a full season, and he was over a point a game in the playoffs as well. So, you know, like obviously his his production absolutely blew up, but at the same time, he was still producing in previous seasons. But I think it's a really it's really interesting because you don't see. A six foot six, you know, two hundred and twenty five pound forward putting up those kinds of numbers very often anymore. You know, like usually if you have that type that type of player, they're a Frederick Gauthier type player who and Gauthier had a great junior career actually, but usually they're gonna play on the fourth line. They're going to, you know, be more in a shutdown role. So I I think it's really interesting to find somebody who can produce at that level who's six foot six. Yeah, and and I think that that's a sign that uh, uh, size in the NHL for for players for teams is still very important. Uh, they, I think, yeah, the game is getting smaller and faster and more skilled based, and I think that's a great thing for hockey, and I think that makes for exciting uh, games to watch. But at the same time, if you see guys that are big and doing these kind of things, making uh, offensive productions uh, and, and playing skilled hockey, that's even better because those guys can dominate the competition. And uh, yes, we don't, like, we don't tend to see big players like, playing physical games anymore because those players tend to fall off a cliff very fast, as I've mentioned in the previous podcast. But if this guy 
can continue his production into the AHL and finds himself in the NHL and plays the way he was playing in junior, which we don't know. It is an overage season. You know what? He could make an impact. Yeah. Um, so one thing that I just thought up right now, it's not on our topic list because I think we've exhausted the topic list, actually. <laughs> um, but this is something that's been debated by Twitter, by everybody on Twitter, um, and some people make fun of others um, it just sarcastically about it. But um, do, do you think the Leafs are tough enough? And in saying that as well, <laughs> is there such thing as in the NHL you need to be a certain you need to have a certain level of toughness on your team? The Leafs' uh, top like flay of uh, fighting back opponents is with their offense. They don't they don't need to be a physical team, but if they do need to be, they they can do it. Like during Monday's game, I believe it was uh, Nazem Kadri uh, fought back against Carl Crudebuck. Who was in front of the Frederick Anderson, giving like invading his space, and I think that that's a sign that a team like the Leafs can play that physical style if they need to. They don't. They don't have to. They don't really want to because they don't. They don't. Re- it doesn't. It's not their strength. Their strength is offense. So why need to fight all the time? Yeah, I'd say generally, um, the game has moved away from that style of play. At the same time, though, uh, when I see you know a goalie get run over and nobody doing anything about it. It's a little frustrating, and I was even I was at the Marlies game. Was that this past weekend? Yeah, just this past weekend um, <laughs> against uh, Laval, and Cascasuo um, even got hit, and nobody did anything. I was just like, this is you know this is the Leafs organization in a nutshell as well, though. Where I, I agree that you don't need a level of toughness on the team necessarily, but I think it's a little you know. Somebody should be standing up for a goalie when he gets run over. Somebody should be standing up for teammates. And I almost think that part lacks. And I don't know if that's toughness or if it's intensity or what it is, but um, I thought I thought that was interesting. I don't – because, again, I don't know if, if a team needs to be a certain level of tough to succeed anymore, but I, I did see that there was a lack of intensity that way. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, on the Leafs lineup currently, the players who I would con- easily – say have the most snarl on their team would be Zach Hyman, Ka- Nazem Kadri, Jake Muzzin, and to an extent, Kasperi Kapanen. I wouldn't include Kapanen at all. Well, that. did you see him? He fought a, fought, a, fought a player against Sabres a few weeks back. I just say that, that that's not Kapanen's. Not that, sorry, not that a player needs a role, but that's not Kapanen's. Would you say Andres Janssen would fit that, that bill as well? No. Okay, so then there you go. That's like two, maybe three players that somewhat fit the role of being a, of a player with snarl. So what, what, I don't know what else to really add there. I don't know. I just thought it was a cool topic to bring up because I know it's debated on Twitter from half of, half of Leaf fans on Twitter saying the team doesn't need toughness because, you know, we score. Um, and then the other half are saying we absolutely need toughness because we're going to get taken up by the Bruins if we don't. Well, the Leafs, uh, that question was brought up last year, and the Leafs made it to seven games, and they weren't even playing at their best. So I don't think they, I think they'll get by without really a lot, a lot of toughness. Actually, one topic that I do, did want to bring up was uh, Garrett Sparks and uh, just more about his season, just recapping his season as a whole. We definitely have talked about him in the past, like is he the right fit for this team? But uh, his season is very likely finished, bearing any unforeseen circumstance. Uh, I I don't know what his record is off the top of my head, but I know he I did have a losing record. Yeah, but it, he won eight games, I believe, if I'm off the top of my head. I'm, 
pretty sure he lost nine though. Yeah, yeah. Like eight, eight and nine, eight wins, nine losses. Uh, the save percentage is low nines. The the goals against averages in, is in the threes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a very it's a very controversial topic for a lot of Leaf fans. But uh, what do you think, Garrett Sparks did well this season? Uh, well, I know I we've touched on this before, so I'll try and keep it short. If somebody's listened to our other podcast, because I'm I'm almost repeating myself um, about this, but uh, I think Sparks was not great this season. At the same time, I don't think it gives enough reason to not warrant him coming back next year, because again, this is a goalie in his first full season, and you can bring up the age factor. He's already 25, but you know, a goalies, especially goalies, you know, more than any other player on the team need some time to get accustomed to the NHL. And I, I don't think it's fair to write Garrett Sparks off yet. Um, it was a rough season. Uh, you know, I think the thing with him was consistency as well in the fact that I know through his... I, I, I don't have the stats for the last five or six games he played, but through his first 13 games, he was either, you know, like above a 930 save percentage or like below an 890 save percentage. And there was nothing in that average... Like, not average, nothing in that normal stats level for goalies um, through those first 13 games it was either very good or very bad um, and I you know I would watch him and just the way that he's moving too sometimes he just didn't look confident in that I think that stuff comes with time um, so I think next season is really the one to evaluate Sparks on um, this year we can say no he didn't have a good season at the same time He's a back goalie who played, you know, 20 games. Um, and with somebody like Anderson, who can who can play as many games as he does between 60 and 65 games normally without injury, you know, I, I don't think Sparks necessarily needs to be excellent for this team to have success. Um, but I think next year we'll be able to evaluate him better. I think this year was definitely a big uh, wake-up call for him because last year and maybe the year before that, he was viewed as the starter or at least one of the, the guys in that, and uh, he played that role, I, I, for the most part, pretty well. And uh, I think that that's something he Marley's got. With the Marlies, you mean? Yeah, with the Marlies, yeah. And he was definitely used to that role. And especially last year, like he was the guy that the Marlies relied on for goaltending. And uh, even when he had a bad game, he bounced back with a with a solid performance the next one. Like we look back, I look back immediately to game six of the HL finals. I believe he had a really rough game. And uh, there was questions about if he should even be the starter for game seven. But Sheldon Keefe uh, went with him anyway, and he bounced back with one of his best games of the, se- of the season at the perfect time, and the Marlies ended up winning the Calder Cup. Uh, yeah, for sure, you definitely touched on uh, consistency, and I think that's a huge thing, too. Uh, during that week where the Leafs were very bad, he had two consecutive uh, appearances where he had to come in relief of Anderson, and he looked all right, like a .93 save percentage against the uh, Lightning and a .960 save percentage against the uh Blackhawks, but he got a loss with that second game. And then his last uh, few games, uh, a loss to the Senators, which was awful. Uh, a win against the Sabres, which came to- tooth and nails, but that was a uh, where he didn't really have to work too much for that. Uh, another loss to the light- the Senators again this past weekend. And then a loss to the Carolina Hurricanes. So I think, yeah, for sure, the one thing he has to work on in the offseason is his consistency. Because uh, and also just the mental aspect that he's not the guy in for the Toronto Maple Leafs in terms of goaltending, and even though that's the case, he has to realize that if he wants to stay in the NHL, he's got to get through that in, in his head. 
But I think the other thing is, is too, is positioning in that because I think when you look at the eye test, uh, he is a little out of position a lot of times, and that really affects his ability to make a lot of saves. Yeah, no, I agree. But looking at how Sparks has performed at three other levels in the OHL, he had a 917 in his last year. And for the for the OHL, that's a very good save percentage because when you look at goalies being drafted at the OHL, typically that save percentage is significantly lower than it would be for a good goalie in the NHL. Um, and during his stint in the ECHL, he had a 916, then a 936. Throughout his time with the Marlies, he had numbers like 915, a 928, um, a 922, and a 936 through parts of season. So um, Sparks can perform. Sparks has performed well at essentially any level he's played at, and you know this is really I think the first time that he's had this much adversity um, in his career. But um, I, I yeah I think Garrett Sparks. Yeah, all signs still point to him having NHL success. Even if he had a bad first season, again, it's still not a huge sample size. It's only a 20-game sample size. Um, and when you look at other goal- backup goalies around the league, like Corpus Allo and Columbus was hovering around the same save percentage. I'm not sure where he ended up, but throughout the majority of the season as well. Um, I, yeah, I think, I think Sparks will come back next year and Ideally, I'd say you want to have Sparks somewhere around like a nine thirteen, nine fourteen save percentage. That's a that's a very good backup goalie. Um, yeah, I don't think he's crazy far off either. No, exactly that. And I think the only reason why we'd be having this discussion is this combined with Curtis McElhaney playing exceptionally well in Carolina, which we've already discussed in the past, is why people are up in arms about why why Garrett Sparks was chosen. And that's a topic for the for the past. We don't have to go on that anymore. But yeah, I think for next season, I think when hopefully during the off season and during the playoffs, Gary Sparks really gets a, a sense of what what playoff hockey in the NHL is like and how goal, how the best goalies really prepare for games, how they perform in that, and how they respond to goals against. And I think yes, he's definitely seen that in the NHL during the regular season. But I think getting to see that in the playoffs is huge. It's like that's very monumental. And he's going to see two of the better goalies in the NHL, and uh, Anderson and Rask in that during the playoffs. And I think that that's going to really help him out. He's going to get a lot to learn. And I think that that's something he's going to have to take with during the summer. And hopefully this time, he actually does play during the, during the offseason. Because wasn't it this past offseason, he barely played? And he said he even admitted during spring tra- like training camps, like, oh, I didn't really play much this offseason. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't see that, but maybe. Yeah, and, and uh, I think that that's something he really has got to do. Like During this offseason, he's got to play hockey. He's got to learn. He's got to take notes during the playoffs this year and hopefully get something out of it. Yeah. And hopefully next season, uh, he's a more stable goalie. He's got the experience behind his back. He doesn't have to worry about it. The expectations will be low for him next season because people are like, oh, he's probably going to be crap again. And he probably will surprise people. We'll yeah. see. Cool. Um, and then I think... Our last topic is away from the Leafs, and it's um, the wild card situations. Yes, we're going to call this our bonus topic of the of the episode. It's if it's a segment we started uh, last week, uh, just always at the end when we think the show's done, uh, we add a new topic at the end. Exactly. Um, so the wild card situations right now, um, just looking at um, the East. Obviously, there's a lot going on between Columbus, um, Carolina, and Montreal, and you can even include Pittsburgh in there. Um, like we said, I think it's unlikely, but um, Pittsburgh, every team is at 80 games, all of two left. Pittsburgh has 97 points, Carolina's at 95, Columbus is at 94, Montreal is at 94. 
How do you see those four teams falling into place? Let's start with the Pittsburgh Penguins because uh, I was actually surprised to learn that their opponent that they played la- the last game, the Detroit Red Wings, was on a, is on a six-game winning streak. That's something I did not expect to see. And uh, the fact that they won that game, that's, that's okay, all power to the Red Wings. They, they had a good, strong ending to the season. I think they're going to be better next season. But the Pittsburgh Penguins know what they're up against tonight. And I think that they're going to definitely play a much better game. And there's that desperation of they can get one point and they're in the playoffs. Uh, or, or get a win and that really improves their chances of clinching a playoff spot. I don't know if they're going to clinch it tonight. Uh, I think the only way that they can do that is if they win and Carolina loses their game, right? They can, no, with a win, they can clinch tonight. Really? Yeah, because they're at 97, and Columbus and Montreal are at 94. But, so Carol- once- but Carolina would be at night If Carolina wins two, Pittsburgh would be, they'd be like 90. Wait, are we talking divisional spot or playoff spot? Yeah, I'm just talking, like, we're starting to start with Pittsburgh, because I want to start with Pittsburgh, because I think that... Are you talking them clinching a Metro spot, though, or them clinching a playoff spot? A playoff, Pittsburgh clinching a playoff spot. All they spot. need is a win. Yeah, okay. So, like I said, I think Pittsburgh is probably going to clinch the playoff spot tonight. They're very likely going to. Um, and you, uh, they probably will have an easier time against the Red Wings. Do you think they'll end up in the, the Metro spot or a wild card spot? I think a Metro spot is still the my, my pick for them. I, I just think that Carolina went on a bit of a tailspin uh, in, in the, towards the end of March, and that really hurts their chances. But that's not to say that their season's been bad. It's just that Pittsburgh is the more... The more veteran team and has more experience, and they're kind of come together at the pr- at the right time. Carolina went on a tailspin. Oh, just a little bit, and I think that that was just it was just enough for uh, Pittsburgh to sneak back into the third spot. It wasn't like a huge slump, but it was it was it was enough for Pittsburgh to to get back. Interesting. I didn't know that because I looking at their last thirty games beforehand, they were I think it was twenty wins, nine losses, and one overtime shootout loss just look at their last couple of games like before the toronto one obviously because we we know how that one turned out um yeah but i if if i'm a team i don't want to play carolina in the playoffs of course not because i think they've been really really hot um as of late um and i think it's going to invite likely be the washington capitals playing them in the first round which I think will be a very fun series, like the return of the Southeast Division rivals playing against each other, and obviously Metro Division rivals. And I think uh, Lightning and Capitals games have been very entertaining and very like pretty pretty tight, and uh, they've been very fun to watch from what I've seen. Um, so now with Columbus, um, so just with the the trade deadline pickups that they have. They need to make the playoffs, right? Yes, and I think it's because of the future of their team is uh, is in question. They desperately need to make the playoffs, and not only do they need to make the playoffs, they need to win a playoff round. Yeah. Because uh, Artemi Panarin and Sergei Bobrovsky's future is still up in the air. They're very likely on their way out, but a, a successful run in the playoffs will definitely improve their uh, likelihood of staying around, especially Matt Duchesne and Ryan Dezingle. Because next year's team is going to have a very tough time, even with uh, the likes of Seth Jones and Reniski uh, sticking around. Um, yeah, they definitely need to make the playoffs, and I think there's definitely that urgency, especially because they missed out on a prime opportunity to improve their chances at the playoffs on uh, Tuesday night against the Bruins. Yeah, um, and then with Montreal, I'd still I'm still someone who really likes to see Canadian teams make the playoffs. Um, do you think Montreal's the the odd team out? 
that's actually going to be a tough question because Montreal is playing with all like all the house money right now. They have zero expectations going into the season, and they played a really con- they won a very convincing game against the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning uh, on Tuesday. Mind you, it was on the second half of back to back for Tampa Bay, and they just played the the Ottawa Senators the night before. But the fact of the matter that they even beat them and prevented them from even having a chance at getting 63 wins in the season, which would be the most uh, in NHL history, that tells you a lot. And I think this Montreal team has definitely got a lot of competitive edge. And I think that they're going to find find a way into the playoff picture. So to answer your question, like, do I think that they're going to miss out? No, they're, they're probably just going to barely make it in. Then who's going to miss? Um... I, I hate to disappoint people on Twitter, but Carolina. You think Carolina will? Just barely miss out. Like, you know what it is? It's their goaltending that, that, that I'm worried about. I, I know they're at 5-on-5. Five five, they've been ex- exceptional. And I know that they just beat the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's, it, this is not me being salty. This is just me wondering if, if their goaltending is going to hold up at the right time. Yes, they have a very ideal matchup tonight against the New Jersey Devils. And I think that that should, like, in theory, should be an easy win. But the New Jersey Devils are trying to play for spots. Some of the Devils are playing for spots this year, and they'll be more than happy to play the role of spoilers. So if, if the Carolina Hurricanes goalie doesn't show up and both Columbus and uh, Montreal win their games, their chances take a huge hit. Yeah, my thing is that based on the schedule, I think if I'm predicting right now, Montreal's the one falling outside because they're playing Washington and then Toronto versus Carolina, who's got New Jersey and Philadelphia. So my pick to miss is Montreal still. Okay. Um. And again, Montreal's still a point behind Carolina as well, um, and is lacking uh, a regulation or overtime win. So, my pick to miss the playoffs is still Montreal. I mm. think. Well, isn't uh, Washington uh, playing for the division? I don't. I don't think they have very many reasons to play hard for this game. I don't think. Yeah, they can clinch the division with a win tonight, or even just a point. Uh, no, because if the Islanders win the next two. 101. And, yeah, you're, oh, yeah, you're right. No, yeah, they would, they, would have, they, they would have more regulation overtime wins. Actually, so yeah, the yeah. Islanders could still win the Metro in theory. Yeah, that's totally possible, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see how it plays out. I think, regardless of who actually makes it, I don't, I, this is not me hating on the Hurricanes because I think that's them being in the playoffs is a good thing. Regardless of who actually makes or misses it, this has been one of the most exciting wild card races we've seen since uh, 2016, 2017. And obviously that was because the Leafs uh, made it on the second last day of the season. But this one's probably going to be even more exciting because this one's going to very likely take until the very last day. Yeah. And with both te- all three teams starting their games at the exact same time, that's going to be for an exciting Saturday night. Yeah, and really the only playoff matchup that we know in the East is Boston-Toronto. Other than that, any other matchup is going to be affected by how the Metro shakes up and how the wildcard spots end up. Um, like, yep. Exactly. Exciting hockey to for sure. Moving over to the West, um, the only real team that could make the wild card uh, is Arizona, but they have to win both their games, and Colorado has to lose both of theirs. Um, do you see it as pretty unlikely that Colorado falls from the last wild card spot? I think uh, for for Arizona fans, they definitely have some uh, frustrations because their team just could not stay healthy for mo- most of the season. But the fact of the matter is that they uh, they had a they've had a successful second half of the season and their future is very bright. I think, yeah, we're seeing on the schedule right there. They lost a huge game to the L.A. Kings. That was some, that was a must-win game for them, and they missed out badly. But uh, 
yeah, I think uh, Arizona's in a very tough spot. And the one team, the one place you don't want to be in when you're in a playoff race is when fate's not in your hands. Yeah. And I think that that's something that uh, is really going to hurt the Arizona Coyotes' chances. And especially because Colorado is the more experienced team, was in the playoffs last year, has all their players back, and all they need is just one point, and they're in. So they, they don't have to play as hard tonight if they really don't want to, and they'll they'll just probably make it to overtime, and they, they may make it into the playoffs. So... And it's, I don't think a team with 88 points making the playoffs is, is great for hockey, if I'm going to be honest. Yeah. Um, what was the – Minnesota had done it at around, like, 89 points, I La- think. Last year? No, I think two years ago. Oh. I remember that happening. Um, yeah, I think that's that's it for us. Yep, that's it. Uh, a very exciting weekend coming up for, for uh, hockey. Uh, we'll have a podcast next week previewing the playoffs. Uh, that should be a very fun one. Uh, hopefully, the Leafs uh, – do well good this time. When are they starting? Sorry. When are the when's the playoffs starting for the Leafs? Is it uh, uh, Wednesday or Thursday? I'm not sure. That's a great question. We should probably know that. Yeah, I think they're going to release a schedule Sunday night once the playoffs are all decided. And just as a last note, uh, Minnesota had clinched that wild card spot with 87 points in 2015-16. Oof. 87. <laughs> um, doesn't get much worse than that for a playoff spot but yeah it's um, definitely colorado gonna make it this year yeah um okay that's it for us uh thanks everybody for listening we'll be back um let us know if there's anything you want us to talk about um you can find me at ben shelley underscore 20 on twitter you can find me on twitter at the least imo where can they find your work uh i'm writing for hockey buzz right now so uh check that out and you're over at um i'm at maple Leafs hostel mainly writing uh post game recaps uh and i might get something soon on editor and leaf so you could definitely check it out there cool thanks everybody for listening yeah see you guys uh on tuesday You've been listening to the Leafs in Our Opinion podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to follow the hosts on Twitter at Ben Shelley underscore 20 and at the Leafs IMO. 